Did you know Montel uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to forecast spot prices, inflow to reservoirs, wind and runoff river production? We can improve forecasts for your individual power plants anywhere in Europe. Contact us at ai.motelnews.com for more info. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we turn our attention to Brussels, and in particular on policies to ensure the EU will meet its aim to be climate neutral by 2050. Joining me, Richard Svarison, today is Jutta Gutelon, a prominent European politician who has been serving as an MEP since 2014. She's a member of the Social Democrats and is the rapporteur on the climate law. A warm welcome to you, Jutta. Thank you very much. Honoured to be here. A big pleasure to have you on board. How are you doing at the moment? How, what's it like being an MEP in these sort of COVID-19 times, Jutta? Uh, I'm getting used to it. Since, as you mentioned, I've been a member since 2014 and it feels like another lifetime. It's completely different. Back then I was traveling back and forth and it was meetings, meetings, meetings. I met hundreds of people every day. Today, I think I meet almost the same amount of people, but digitally and remote. I sit in my apartment and I stay in Brussels all the time, almost. It's different, but it's working and it has advantage and it has also negative impact. So it's both. You recently concluded negotiations on the climate law, which I mentioned in the intro you're the, the rapporteur for. It sounds like it was a marathon session. What were the main sticking points here? Yes, indeed, it was. It was 14 hours, the last trilogue. And that was actually, we had a number of them before. And then also at 5 a.m. that morning after that last trilogue, we completed and agreed <laughs> and had a final outcome from the trilogue. But there were many things. Uh, I think from the beginning, everyone realized that this is historic. It's important. The proposal from the commission is unique. Uh, we are going from this coal and stone union to be a climate neutral union. So everyone should see that this is a transition that's huge and it has impact on all sectors in society and on us all. That said, we understood or we had the, the view that we needed to do more on this road towards climate neutrality to make it happen and also to connect it better to the Paris Agreement, not only to make sure that that very day, at least year 2050, we would be climate neutral. We saw that this is not enough. We really need to connect ourselves to the Paris Agreement. So, yes, on that final night, it was about that because it was about how fast should we go to 2030? How should we frame the 2050 objective so that it has more uh, impact on the member states, but also on, on the future after that? Because we need to even have negative emissions. It was also about some of the proposals that we had come further, but we still needed to conclude on the advisory board on climate, on the greenhouse gas budget and so on. So it was many, many topics where we were not quite ready yet, but we still understood each other. So that was good. Absolutely. So the trilogue for those listeners who are not aware of that, that's the discussion between the, the commission 
the EU member states and the parliamentarians, the MEPs. But can you give us a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes there, uh, were you Were you all sitting, you know, on two sides of a table uh, with marathon kind of lots of coffee and sort of snacks throughout the evening? What, what was it like in, the, in these... 14 hours. I actually brought chocolate. I think this is this is the good thing about long meetings that I allow myself to eat lots of chocolate. <laughs> Otherwise, I, <laughs> I need to restrict myself. It's my absolute favorite. And Brussels is uh, really the city of chocolate. Mm. But uh, that said, it was uh, indeed, uh, we have this big table. Not Everyone is not in the room because of COVID. So we also have participants remotely distance in the room. And then we go through the paragraph. So we go through, oh, how is the, the paragraph framed or how is your text on that paragraph and our paragraph? And then, okay, we can't agree on that. We can agree on that, but not that. And then we go back to our teams. So I go back to my shadows, the other groups in the parliament and talk about the things that's still difficult. And we say, okay, maybe we can offer them to frame it like this or drop that thing. And then we go back again and have the, the big room again and then back to our teams. <laughs> and then we, we were doing this back and forth maybe four times mm. and it takes time. So quite a lot of horse trading here going on. Then. Yes, yes, yes. Give, yes, give and indeed. take on a big scale. Yeah. yeah. What are the next steps you do? What, what, what happens now? Um, when will it be voted on in Parliament? Yeah, we will have this scheduled now both in the Council and, and in the Parliament. So... The time frame is um, that in Corepair, I think they will vote in uh, 5th of May. And in, in the parliament, we will, in the Envy committee, we will uh, vote 10th or the 25th of May. And then in, in the big parliament in plenum, we will uh, vote either the second session in, uh, in June or the first in July. And after that, it's um, when it's signed, it's 20 days until it will go into force uh, in, in, the, in the member states. So in the end of the summer, it will be law in, in the European Union, I would say. Is there any danger that it wouldn't get, won't get passed in the, in the plenary session of the parliament? During this year, I've been nervous many times, but this is not one of the moments. I feel that we have a majority now and I would be very surprised if the groups would not support this historic moment. I think it would be politically a suicide for that group. So I assume that <laughs> the democratic groups will stick together here, the ones who, who, who signed on to it. Then, of course, there are some groups who said already from the beginning that they want even more to 2030. I understand that. I would not advise to to not vote on on the law because I I want it to be agreed. So I think that is not a good decision. I think now we need the the decision in the parliament. But of course, I understand that there are some progressive parliamentarians who wanted more for 2030. But I can assure everyone that we did everything to make it as progressive as possible. And I really think it is. I really think we have a much better climate law today than uh, with the proposal from the Commission. What kind of emissions reductions by 2030 will the law finally deliver? Because I've seen 52.8%, 55%, 57%. What's the, the number here that uh, will be delivered by 2030? First of all, there is very clear we have a net target to 55 that's uh, in the law. Then we have an agreement that above that, we will also have uh, used the, the sink in the Lulocef legislation 
so that we get almost 57. But that is a communication that will be done in the same moment we vote on the climate law. The commission will have a communique that, it, that will describe that this is what they intend to do now. And that we actually, they will say that that's an agreement between the institutions. That's, that's the intention. That is, of course, weaker than the law itself, but it's a very clear political signal together with the climate law that we will use these sinks to achieve more 57. Then as the parliament also criticized that this is not as high on reduction as we had, we also achieved kind of closing the loophole in the law that could have meant that we could go lower on reduction. So I think from the original proposal, it would have been in fact possible that we could have had 51 in reduction, but with our negotiations, we got to 52.8. And that is, of course, from the parliament's perspective, it's not the, the reduction we wanted, but it's, it's stronger than the initial proposal. And in reality, it means a lot. It means a lot for the sectors. Every mm. reduction increase that is there will also mean that we are hurrying up the speed of the transition. So I'm also happy about that, that we achieved 1.8 also in, in the reduction part of the net target. Obviously, the role of the, the EU ETS, the emissions trading scheme, is crucial here. How do you think that should be strengthened? I think uh, the ETS needs to do a couple of things to make itself up to date. One is that I think it needs to align the linear reduction factor that is uh, steering how much we can pollute every year in this uh, market-based tool that ETS is. And I think important thing is to make sure that we have uh, every year we do more, we, we take away more of these allowances. And by doing that, it will be more and more expensive to buy the ones who are still there every year. And we need to make a calculation now in front of the new target to 2030 and also, of course, the future. How steep does this reduction need to be every year? And uh, I also think we do need to do something about the free allowances because that has been a problem that has prevented the ETS to fully function in some sectors and some industries, I would say. And I don't find it sufficient that we have these free allowances that making some industries maybe get subsidies for continuing polluting. And uh, that is also something that I think needs to be done this time to make it less uh, of free allowances. My goal is that we should get it away, actually. And I, I think the parliament has a mm. discussion in that mm. direction. In terms of the linear reduction factor, because currently I think it's 2.2% every year to 2030. What would you like to see it be uh, raised to? I mean, we talked about 2.4 last time, but I need to see now after the climate law, we need to look at the calculations actually. So if you look, what's the ETS percentage and how can it be done and then see calculations of that before really telling that this is the number, this is the figure. I think we need more more uh, assessment of this. And I think it's good that the climate law is ready now. So the commission has also time now 
before they present their proposal to take this into account. You spoke very clearly about ending free allocation to, to industry. Is this part of also the sort of carbon border tax idea as well, that when that's in place, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, once that's in place, it's easier to, to cut off the free allowances to the industry or are the, the two not related? No, they are indeed related. I think that there were problems even before, as I mentioned, that this uh, free allocation is going to... uh, We had one example with the cement sector last period that they actually get a lot and big part of the cement industry is not exporting its its goods outside of the EU. So it, it is a very... It's more a local industry than some others because it's heavy to transport the cement. So you, you, you don't do that unless it's very in the, if you have the industry next to the border, really. So if you look at it as the whole industry, it's not the big global industry there. And they have really benefited from this, but maybe not benefited in a good way for the future because they also need to improve themselves to be in competition And uh, we cannot uh, serve industries by telling them to go back in history or stay in the history. Then they will not be fit for the purpose for the future. And that's actually, it's not a nice gift to industry and doesn't help. Mm. But then, of course, it's also the (laughs) CBAM, the the carbon border (laughs) adjustment mechanism with many Mm. names. I think this tool will also, if in place, when in place, we cannot have both these kind of protection for climate, but it's for climate, it's not for industry, but a protection that makes the chain in the and the imported goods, they have to pay the same. And then we say, okay, but the global competition is such a big problem for our local industry. So we need to also give them extra support via this system and give free allowances. It doesn't work. We need to choose here. We need to have a combination that's not duplicating. That would also not help the industry if we, if we do the opposite. There would maybe fool industry to stay in negative old techniques. So I think uh, it's not helpful. We're seeing very strong carbon prices at the moment. They're up around 50 euros per tonne. And there's been a lot of talk about the role of speculators in driving prices up. What, what's your view here? Should their, their role be limited or try to thwart some of their activities here? I don't want to draw this uh, very big conclusion out of one week there or there or some. You need to look at this in a very long-term perspective. So if the legislator should react to it, I think that should be because if the market is not functioning and we have proof for a very long time, we've seen incidents that is really changing the price structure in a not market normal way. I don't think I can judge whether we are there. I think also it's normal that we have higher, I mean, from a political point of view, just looking at it, uh, not uh, intending to do anything. So I'm not sending any signals here. I think uh, it is also normal that that the price goes up at this point of Mm. time. And that would also be a very normal market thing. So, but of course, one should never say never, but in that case, it needs to be a very 
serious investigation that we have a serious problem that has been going on for for some mm-hmm. while and because in my view i'm very very positive to to having a market-based uh, ets that i think it's so mm-hmm. clever and mm-hmm. still is and i also think from these years where i've been uh, working with ets that i've seen that when the legislator are more clear about the transition then the price mm-hmm. goes up and I think that's the idea also. Absolutely. I mean, I think lots of people say as well that the fundamentals of the market situation, you know, the climate law, the 2030 targets, it's all pointing to a very strict reduction of emissions. And that means that, you know, it's going to cost much more to pollute. We're coming up to, to a flurry of legislation in, in June and beyond. What are your expectations here for, you know, uh, the renewables targets and energy efficiency, which are two elements of this? First of all, yes, it will be intense uh, year for for the European Parliament after the the Commission has presented the the June package or 2030 package or what you call it. It will definitely mean that all these pieces of legislation, the directives that's uh, out there, will have to adapt. So it will take its part of what needs to be done to increase the 2030 target. And of course, it will also increase the volume of uh, renewable energy uh, that needs to be produced. I really believe that we will see higher targets. But once again, the political situation is not mature enough at this moment for me to judge where we should Mm. be. But I will closely, as every member, I believe, follow what's happening in the commission now. And also, we will definitely start ourselves also to do some calculations and see what would be reasonable for, for the different pieces of legislation to, to take its part hmm. of this. Absolutely. So is there a danger here that some of these policies could overlap with one another, that from more energy efficiency, you know, increased renewables could reduce the demand for ETS allowances and maybe weaken uh, the EU, you know, that, the price signal? We should always look out for for these kind of, if the legislation doesn't play together as one piano, if it's uh, very divided and it has unintended effects. But I really believe now that we are giving the commission the best possibility to, to have to present something that will be very much holistic approach. I think we have never been in a better situation to be holistic. Before, it was a lot like that between the legislating procedures that they didn't intend to go together. And now I really believe, yeah, the will is not to make that kind of things happen. And we have a commission that will have time now before it presents the proposals. And the parliament is also much more up for cooperation between the committees and the ITRE, internal market, IMCO, uh, you know, uh, they all transport, all want to cooperate with the environmental committee at this moment. That gives new opportunities uh, for us all. Absolutely. Um, just finally, Jutta, the terms used here are sort of climate neutral, carbon neutral, net zero. What, what is correct? Are they all correct or is it just sort of semantics here? I would say the net zero is correct. For me, it's the, the removals and the reduction and make sure that this is a calculation that will add to zero. 
and uh, we will not get a situation where we have a reduction to zero. And if you have a terminology that, that gives that intention, that the reduction will be so we, are, we don't have any CO2 emissions at all, then, of course, that will not be the case. But if with the net target, you show that it is actually possible, but then you need to have also removals with forests, peatlands, mm. or something else that will capture these emissions back so it's not in the atmosphere. So that's the, the idea here. Excellent. Many thanks, Jutta, for being a, a guest on the Montel Weekly Podcast. And, and best of luck with the climate law and, and beyond. Thank you so much. So nice to be with you. <laughs> and you. Thank you very much. Jutta. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.